Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Adam Forshaw is back of the podcast. Did you hear? He's back. And I'm joined by the Adam Forshaw is back of the podcast, Tom Alderson. Seriously, he's back. And finally, the Adam Forshaw is back of the podcast. I mentioned it, right? He's back. Adam Forshaw is back. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, um, and we're back. Um, we've actually managed to do something uh, which which we'd never managed to do before, which is something off the the podcast bingo card, which is to do the re-record because somebody's technology is fucked up, and in my in in, in this case, it's my technology that fucked up. And earlier on, uh, just so that the listener knows, I did quite a good joke about donating my hips to Adam Forshaw. But I can't do that again because you two have already heard it and uh, I don't think it would really work as well the second time. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to make a joke about the hips not lying, so I won't <laughs> I won't make a joke about that either. <laughs> but anyway, Tom Alderson, how are you doing? I'm, I'm even better than I was about four hours ago when we were recording this for the first <laughs> time. I've, actually, I've just watched City against Dortmund and I probably, I realised halfway through I probably should have watched Liverpool to actually do some revision for this podcast. <laughs> I did wonder. <laughs> but yeah, not like I do usually watch City. So yeah, but it would have made a lot more sense if I'd done it the other way around. I think I think I made the right choice in the end anyway. Well, my research was watching um Joe Boyd, the producer from the sixties and the guitarist from Fairport Convention, which was probably uh different from, from watching Man City play. <laughs> I too also watch Man City Dortmund rather than Liverpool, which as you've pointed out, probably would have been helpful. But here we are. <laughs> Anyway, I think in terms of the news, there is no news other than Adam Forshaw is back. There's a grounds person role available at the club now. That's what we mentioned That's earlier. <laughs> we did mention the grounds person role. As everyone knows, we are Leeds primary grounds media outlet. If you want to know anything about the pitch at Leeds United, this is your first port of call. And so if you are interested in being a grounds person at the club, going to caress the pitch at Elland Road week in, week out, then do find the job advert and apply for it. You can't be any worse than the last one. Yeah, you can't be worse than the last one. And you can go on to be our number one pitch correspondent as well. So what more inducement could you want than that? But yeah, just another reminder that Adam Forshaw is potentially starting this Friday in the under-23s game, 7pm. Get your clocks set and uh, make sure that you watch that. That's available on YouTube and the club channel as well. Decided that I'm going to do a Twitter take. It's going to be a four-shot day takeover. Mm. I'm, I'm going to watch the 23s. I'm going to live live tweet his, his every involvement. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but other than that, there is no news. It's very late at night now. We're all we're all tiring. So let's jump straight into the Liverpool preview because we are playing Liverpool on Monday. And this week I was lucky enough to talk to John O'Sullivan, a freelance journalist who also puts stuff out at the Anfield Index. And this is what he had to say about Liverpool. So John, hi, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. I'm really looking forward to being on this. I was on this podcast for the first game of the season, which was a 4-3 tracker. So hopefully we get something similar on Monday night. Yeah, I'm hoping so too. 
It's been a weird season. You've mentioned that we played it right at the beginning of the season and people were impressed with Leeds' performance that day. But since then, Liverpool have had something of a collapse. And so maybe our performance that day looks a little bit less impressive than it did at the time. But I'm interested in what you put Liverpool's poor season down to. I don't think you can look past the injuries. Like directly or indirectly, they've snookered Liverpool. So when you miss defenders of Virgil van Dijk, Joe Massive and Joe Gomez's calibre, it obviously has harmed the defence. And then to compound issues, you have Fabinho, who was actually quite good when he played in centre-half. He had to drop back into defence and this harmed him in the field, given he's comfortably the club's best defensive midfielder. Then, in lieu of having Fabinho as a midfield option, other players like Jorginho Wijnaldum have had to play way more than they would have and inevitably performances have dropped. Thiago also missed three once and so has Jordan Henderson with his recent injury, which meant the players have played almost constantly and that's uh, that's in a really compressed season because of COVID. So I think the drop back in a lot of players' form is inevitable. Then you have uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson and they're the club's main supply of creativity, but they've had to cut their attacking wings somewhat and sit back to protect the defence. And this has really lessened the team's potency in attack. I think really another thing, and it's not been mentioned too often, too often is uh, the lack of height really with all the injuries and it's left Liverpool really impotent at set pieces. So last season, for context, they tied with Man City for the most set-piece goals in the league with 17. But now they've only scored six, and they've scored none since mid-December. So people will call it excuse-making, but you can't look past the injuries, all of which happened, like I mentioned, in the most compressed season of all time. And you know, Some players, and Jurgen Klopp, as much as we can't measure this, have suffered family bereavements, and they haven't been able to grieve properly. You wouldn't need a degree in psychology to see that that could impact performance. So... There's been a lot of factors, really, but I think injury is the elephant in the room. As things stand, Liverpool are on the cusp of getting back into the top four. Do you think they've turned things around? Mm, while this iteration of Liverpool are still very flawed, I think they've turned things around to a certain degree. I would cite three factors as a catalyst to this improvement. Uh, one, Fabinho has returned to midfield, and this has allowed other players, such as Thiago, to play their more natural games. And this has really helped the Reds control games more, which was which was an element of the game that wasn't so good at the beginning and the middle of the season. And two, although they aren't perfect, the familiarity of having consistency in selection with Nat Phillips and Ozan come back at centre-half is huge. So Liverpool this season have filled, fielded 20 different pairings in the heart of the defence. So to have a regular partnership really helps. You know, Phillips in particular isn't really off the standard required. He's a bit meat and two veg and a bit slow. But his aerial strength and bravery has really helped. And Quebec really has looked so assured for a 21-year-old after a difficult start. And he has played the more mature, measured role between him and Phillips. Uh, he's really sweeping behind and he's organizing defense more so. But you can still see that inevitably he has his moments of rawness. And uh, I think finally, one of the biggest things to take as a as a reason for why Liverpool have improved a lot lately is the return, is the return of Diogo Jota. So... His array of finishing, his left foot, right foot headers, has really given Liverpool a weapon they'd so badly missed. I think this is probably the worst run of form since Sadio Mane has joined the club. So having the Portuguese return has been timely. Liverpool still, as shown by their underlying data, create a number of decent chances. And Jota, Salah aside, is the most capable player in the team to make hay for them. So his return has been huge and has really given Liverpool more bite and attack. So what do you think is the biggest challenge for Liverpool going into the rest of the season? I think really, depending on how they get on in Europe, and realistically, I think their goose is cooked there, unfortunately, but you never know. Uh, I think Liverpool's issue is going to be focus. Like, should they bow out of the Champions League, their remaining league games are eminently winnable. And those are the kind of games where they have come undone regularly this term. They've actually been quite good in uh, the inverted commas, big games. So I think uh, retaining that focus and that drive between now and the end of the season and not feeling sorry for themselves if they have another setback in European football will be key. You described the last game between these two sides as a bit of a cracker. Uh, what did you make of it? I, I thought it, I thought it was a superb game. I think Leeds really showed a blueprint to a lot of other teams on how to expose Liverpool and how to attack Liverpool. So in that game, Calvin Phillips was superb. Uh, he kind of sat deep in midfield and he treaded a lot of through balls. He played a lot of balls over the top. And they looked to isolate Trent Alexander-Arnold against uh, Jack Harrison, and it, it paid dividends on a couple of occasions. And now we've seen since Aston Villa have done it, uh, Real Madrid successfully done it with Tony Kroos. So I think what Leeds showed in that game is that you can be brave against Liverpool and it can pay dividends to a certain degree. Like Even though they, they lost the game, that was still 
a newly promoted team coming to the home of the English champions and giving a great account of themselves. Do you think we'll see much different tactically from Jurgen Klopp this time around? I don't think we'll see maybe a pivot away from the 4-3-3 shape. He's kind of experimented a lot with 4-2-3-1 in closing out games at times this season, but I don't think really he'll ve- he'll veer away from the 4-3-3. I think what will be more interesting is who he will select to to fill out those positions. Um, but I, I think he'll approach the game the same way as he has done in most games. He'll look to dominate the possession, to dominate the territory, and to play with intensity and, of course, counter-press. More generally this season, how would you say that Liverpool's tactics have changed? Have they changed much at all? There's been there's been certain tweaks with, like I mentioned before, I don't think the fullbacks, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson, have really bombed on as much or as often as they have done in the past. But that's because there's been 20 centre-half pairings and they've a lot of the time have had to maybe clip their wings somewhat to help protect the defenders because even at times it wasn't even defenders, it was midfielders. There was games where Jordan Henderson and Fabinho played in the heart of Liverpool's defence. But I think... I think wholly Liverpool have tried to play in more or less the same manner. Sometimes they've had a different shape, like a 4-2-3-1 or maybe even a 4-2-4. But what's been retained has been the philosophy and the style of football that they've largely played for the majority of Jurgen Klopp's tenure at the club. Um, so maybe at times they've looked to, to taper back their press and not play with so much intensity, but that's more out of a probably a preservation perspective than, you know, trying to fully change change suit. You've already mentioned this season that Liverpool have tended to go with a 4-3-3 or a 4-1-4-1, however you look at it. Um, and there has been that shift late in games to a 4-2-3-1. Talk us through that. Why do you think that that 4-2-3-1 is being used? Is it, is it simply just to give a little bit more control in the middle? I think so. And, um, you know, Jurgen Klopp played that for times in the 2018 and 19 season, especially near Christmas. And there was one time they absolutely hockeyed Arsenal where they played Mohamed Salah as a nine. And I thought that it suited them a lot. A lot of Liverpool's players at their former club would have played in two-man midfields. So you're looking at Naby Keita playing the box midfield in Leipzig. Uh, Fabinho partnered uh, Bakayoko at Monaco in a two-man midfield. Thiago obviously played in a two-man midfield for Bayern. So I think this is something that Klopp has been building towards for a long time with his signings. It's obviously the shape that he predominantly played at Dortmund. And I think what it does for Liverpool is it helps them. It's a mechanism really to fit all of their attackers into the same team at once. And I think that with this shape, and Bayern Munich have played it a lot, it could be the antidote to Liverpool to really stop their issues with like low block defences because it would just incorporate another, uh, another attacker in. And it would also give them a nice balance with a double pivot midfield in terms of defence. And that would help enable the fullbacks to push forward a lot. Because sometimes with their 4-3-3 shape, I find that it's one too many players behind the ball. And if we were to move to a 4-2-3-1, you would have another player in the attacking line, be it maybe Roberto Firmino as a 10 and then have Salah as the number nine. So I think that would be a good means of, uh, of really helping them in an attacking sense. And also the fact that when you have Virgil van Dijk back, he, he is so good that I don't think you need to play an inherently defensive system to still be solid when you have individuals that are that capable, such as he is. You've mentioned a few midfielders there. I'm interested, actually, in your opinions of two midfielders who arrived from the Bundesliga. You mentioned Nambi Keita, who has been pretty disappointing, I, I think it's fair to say, since he arrived at Liverpool, uh, after having just some absolutely monumental seasons in, in in the Bundesliga with Leipzig. Um, the other midfielder, obviously, is Thiago from, from Bayern. What do you make of those two signings? Do you think, that in hindsight, they were bad signings? Or is it simply that the situation has sort of conspired against them a little bit in terms of what's been going on on the field? Firstly, I would describe Keita as probably a little bit unlucky. One, in terms of he's quite often injured. Like, like the flow of his Liverpool career has been as such. He's played a number of games in a row and he's beginning to start to impress. Next thing he breaks down. And then, you know, Liverpool's form for two of the last three seasons has been so good that when he's returned from injury, he hasn't necessarily got his place back in the team because the incumbent midfielders have been playing very well and Liverpool have been winning trophies and been winning games. So I think he's been unfortunate from that regard. And especially because a lot of his injuries mightn't have necessarily been under the umbrella of injury pro and it's more been like he's been on the receiving end of terrible tackles such as from even Rakitic in a Champions League semi-final and then he's been very poorly managed by the Guinean national team who actually played him through injury during the 2019 uh, 
African Cup of Nations and that just exasperated things. So I think he's been unlucky with injuries, certainly. And another thing maybe that's been unfortunate for him has been that Liverpool, since Keita joined the club, have kind of changed tact. Now, I, I, would, uh, I would cite the appointment of Pepin Linders, who's more into positional play and more kind of prosaic style of football, becoming the assistant manager of the club. Whereas beforehand, it was Zyko Bubac, who was you know, an exponent of the high-intensity, heavy-metal counter-pressing game. So Liverpool have kind of changed tack a little bit. And you know, it hasn't suited Keita as much as I'm sure he would have suited him if he had joined Liverpool perhaps a season earlier when Bubac was still the assistant. But, you know, as it was, the team has been very successful with this kind of adapted style of football. And I think Kate has just been unlucky. And sometimes it just breaks like that, unfortunately. As for Thiago, I think largely he's been good. But an issue has been that he's perhaps had to play a more defensive game than he would have been signed for. Of course, Fabinho playing in centre half means that Liverpool have kind of changed their number six a lot. It's either been Henderson at times, it's been Wijnaldum at other times, and other times it's been Thiago. And Certainly, I don't think the defensive side in terms of sitting in front of the defense is his strongest attribute. I don't think, like for example, he is bad defensively because he's a very good reader of the game. He's adept in pressing. He's come through the La Masea school and he's played for Bayern Munich, who have invariably played like that for the last part, the best part of the last decade. So uh, Thiago probably hasn't been as good as I thought he would be, but he has still been quite good. And I guess you have to look at his... Liverpool career in context. First of all, he didn't have a preseason with the club. He only joined in September after playing deep into the summer with Bayern Munich and winning the European Cup. And then secondly, he gets absolutely mangled with a tackle in the Merseyside Derby and he misses three months. And then when he comes back into the team, they're low on confidence and like a lot of the attackers, such as Firmino and Mane, aren't necessarily playing well. So while I definitely think that he hasn't hit the heights that I would have predicted for him to hit, I think he's quite he's quietly been quite effective and I think as time goes on you can really start to see him adapting to the style of play and okay I don't think he'll have a preseason uh, this summer because of the European Championships and he'll be a cornerstone of the Spanish team I think he'll certainly look better for this experience next season in Liverpool red the other talking point that is always uh, hashed out whenever Liverpool are being talked about is the high back line uh, I'm interested in your take on on the high back line yeah, I can't understand the narrative around this. So, like, a high line was once described in Brazilian football as a donkey line because people literally thought you were a donkey if you wanted to play like this because it was inherently dangerous. But it's all about risk and reward. I mean, the reward is keeping your team compact and situated in the opposition half. And, you know, Klopp is really a student of Arrigo Saki, and Arrigo Saki's ideals was to keep the distance between the forwards and the defence, like, fairly minimal. So, like, if you want to counter-press the, the ball, you have to have short distances between front and back. Otherwise, there's massive gaps and you become exposed. Now, and I guess that, that's the reward to it. But I guess the risk is, like, Nat Phillips, for example, he isn't really quick enough to play in a high line. But I think the fact that you have Allison, who is a capable uh, sweeper, kind of mitigates that danger. A lot of people would have said it about Bayern Munich as well. It's like, oh, their, their high line is like a kamikaze high line. I mean, they won the travel last season and they have the personnel that suits it. So I think I think certainly a lot of the talk around it has been overblown a bit. And, you know, besides, like, the team has been coached over the course of the last four or five years to play this way. Like, it's not as easy as just dropping back. You know, not that Klopp has the time to coach that anyway in this crazily compacted season. It's not, it's not as simple as just dropping back and being highly adept at being this counter-attacking team once you've been coaching a different manner of football for years and you know I think the high line is here to stay with Liverpool and it justifiably so in my opinion well let's look forward to the game on Monday how are you looking injury wise at the moment well yeah like relative to earlier in the season not terribly but there's still Jordan Henderson Joe Massive Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk in the long-term absentee list and then only really Curtis Jones is penciled in in the short-term category so it's not fantastic but trust me it's been far far worse and so how do you think that you'll line up on Monday evening then? So this is interesting. Like he's been maligned a lot lately, especially after being hooked early in the Real Madrid game. I think Naby Keita may start in a 4-3-3 midfield. So the Guinean, he's fantastic in transition. And the way he slaloms through the midfield is gorgeous to watch. And, you know, given how Leeds like to go for man-to-man marking at times, I think Keita in midfield could be a real game-breaker. I think like Liverpool kind of like it when teams come on to them like that. A good example would be Atalanta, who would play 
a similar man-to-man system in the Champions League. Liverpool beat them 5-0 away from home, which is probably their best performance in any competition this season. And they looked they looked so powerful in attack that night. And it could have been even more than five. And I think sometimes you can play into their hands by doing that. And I think one of the best players to take advantage of these kind of spaces and these opportunities that may arise uh, would be Keita. And, you know, aside from that, I think you're probably looking at Jaffa over Mane just in terms of form. So I think the lineup is probably going to be Alisson, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Nat Phillips, Ozan Kabak, and Andrew Robertson is the back four. And in midfield, Fabinho, Thiago and Keita. And then up front, I would imagine you're looking at Diogo Jaffa, Roberto Firmino and, uh, and Mohamed Salah, of course. So which players do you think need to perform well to beat Leeds? You've suggested Naby Keita there. Are there any others uh, alternatives to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think Firmino needs to both play and to play well. So Calvin Phillips, as we saw in the first game, has a really varied and incisive range of passing. And I think stopping Leeds' main playmaker will be the key to stopping them. So uh, Firmino didn't start against Real Madrid and Tony Kroos ran amok. So I think we'll get... I think you really need to see him play to really just like limit the impact that Phillips can have in this game. Um, and I think really another key facet is the other two players in the in the front three. Like Leeds are an excellent team, but I think that they will give you chances. And in a lot of instances this season, Liverpool's finishing has let them down. So I really think the front three need to be to be very sharp for Liverpool to take three points from this. And you mentioned Calvin Phillips there. Which other Leeds players worry you? Uh, Rafinha, who has really impressed me, uh, whether it's off the left or the right, I think he's been superb this season. And I could really well see Leeds trying to isolate him against Nat Phillips when Trent Alexander-Arnold goes forward, like they did in the first game with Jack Harrison, like Real Madrid did, for example, with Vinicius Jr., like Aston Villa have done at times with Ollie Watkins. But uh, I really like Rafinha as a player. Uh, I kind of knew a lot about when he was in when he was in Portugal. I was surprised that he moved to France and. I was surprised then that Leeds tried or Leeds got him really unopposed as far as I can see. So like he's left footed, he's really good in the ball. He regularly finds himself in good positions. I, I I really like him and if if Liverpool were to do business in the Premier League this summer, he'd be one of the players that I think I would love them to sign. And he could have a Diogo Jata uh, impression at the club, I think. And I don't ever ask for predictions. Feel free to give one if you want to, but I'm more interested in how you think the game's gonna unfold on Monday. So what do you think the game's gonna look like? It's hard to see Leeds reaching the same physical and emotional pitch they reached after playing away and winning a Manchester City with 10 men. I mean, that must have taken so much out of them physically and emotionally. And I think given Liverpool have four full days to recover after a Real Madrid match, no matter how that goes, I can see it being a high-scoring game. And I can see it really being a great advertisement for Premier League football with two progressive coaches playing attacking, free-flowing football. Uh, if I were to go into my head, I think I could see Liverpool winning 4-2, but I think there would be any number of goals in this. Well, John, it's always an absolute pleasure chatting to you. What's the best way for our listeners to catch what you're putting out about Liverpool? So you can follow me on Twitter at NotoriousJOS, and I invariably write for Anfield Index, so uh, I should have something coming along in the next couple of days. Well, thanks so much for chatting to us today. Thank you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So that was John O'Sullivan, a freelance journalist who puts stuff out for the Anfield Index. And I think we'll kick off with you, Tom Alderson, what did you have percolating around in your head um, when you were listening to John? I was thinking about um, who Leeds should play on the wings against Liverpool because John mentioned that, um, and it's been mentioned in the media a lot with Alexander Arnold not playing, uh, not being picked for the England squad, uh, that you can kind of get at Liverpool by putting the ball into that channel between um, Trent and I think it's Phillips who plays their right side of the centre back. Um, so I was just thinking, who would you pl- play there? But we'd say take most advantage of that because obviously Rafinha is is probably the best winger, whatever side he's playing on, and would probably make the most out of that that space. But then someone like Jack Harrison, he he's good at taking down those long balls um, with his uh, with his touch. Um, so and then there's also Costa who played very very well at the weekend. And a game like this would probably suit uh, Costa quite a lot because we're just—he's good when we're in these sort of open more games where we're transitioning a lot more. Um, so I just was interested to hear what you guys were thinking on um, wh- wh- who would you go for in this game? Yes, good question. I think um, yeah, as you've as you've pointed out, the the weaknesses between the the fullback and the centre back there. Um, you've got someone like Trent Alexander Arnold who is maybe a little bit weaker defending backwards than Andy Robertson on the other side. And then you've got Nat Phillips who I think John described of as being not up to scratch uh, at, in terms of the level that he's at for, for Liverpool. Um, and no doubt we will see, I think we will see Rafinha probably on that side um, because Rafinha, I think, is the player who is going to make the most of, of those scenarios, um, particularly if he's got space to run into. We saw that happening in the Manchester City game over and over again, right, with the uh, the ball into the right-sided channel. Um, and I guess we um, had uh, we we had sort of picked out uh, Benjamin Mendy and um, and Nathan Ake as the weak spots in the Man City back line, and that was our one outlet that we were we, we were sort of uh, trying to squeeze a little bit. So I suspect we'll probably see something similar. Um, although what what is interesting, I think, about that is that when we when we uh, I was watching the um, the video back, obviously to do the video analysis in that of that game and I noticed how much of the uh, of the players who were expected to get the ball into those channels were um, Liam Cooper and uh, Ilan Melier, um obviously both of whom are, are left-footed so I wonder whether or not if we are targeting down that uh, left-hand side whether or not we might see the ball going through Urente, um and uh, maybe even Calvin Phillips a bit more given that he is right-footed and so you've got the the requisite angle on that but Darren what do you make of that? Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. I think I think you are going to see us switching switching the diagonal from from the way which we ordinarily would do, which which would be from um, Melier and Cooper, and and you know coming more from the from our our right, if you guess. I'm just thinking about in terms of the the other winger. I, I agree that Rafinha should probably play the left left hand side, and and um, you know get get try and get try and get at Trent and Phillips. I'm, I th- I think. Given how well Costa played against City, I think it'd be really harsh to to drop him. I think I think he is someone who would also benefit from that space in behind, you know, Liverpool's fullbacks. And I know that I know that John said they're not as attacking as as they have been in the past, but they but they do still play an incredibly high line. And I think that that we did see at times in the City game that um that 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 is the sort of space that Costa can be really effective in and also I just think it's important to 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 remember that he also had a really good game against Liverpool at Anfield um and and I I don't necessarily think that that we're going to need um you know very often when we talk on this podcast about which which winger should play where we we try and factor in well which side do we need Harrison to do the the kind of um the bulk of the defensive work on and 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 actually it's both <laughs> in this side and you can't play them on both sides um but i i think perhaps we should probably be looking uh looking the other way this time and trying to trying to take advantage of the one good opportunity that i think we've got of of, of getting at them yeah, as I was saying before, I think the the interesting thing here is that we I, th- I think what you have to do is determine which side Rafinha is playing on, and then de- you know ask the question 
who do you play in in what in the space that's left over? We know that Rafinha can play on both sides. I think we would probably be of the of the opinion that Rafinha is better from the left, uh, and I think in this game he probably will be played from the left. Um, and so the question then is, who do you want to play on the right? Do you want to play Costa or do you want to play Harrison? And I think we've only really seen Harrison's best games from the right in a defensive capacity. Now that doesn't mean to say that we wouldn't see Harrison on the right in this game because tracking Andy Robertson would be a, a useful function. Um, but it, it all very much depends then. On, on how Bielsa sees um, sees the the attacking approach, whether or not we're just going to focus our attacks down the left hand side as we did against City on the right, um, and then just maybe sit Harrison in on the right as a, as a little bit more of a defensive uh, a defensive um, option. I'll go to you on Tom, Tom Alderson on this. This is your question. So, which one would you take on on that right hand side? Then, if we assume that Rafinha is playing on the left, I think I'd go for Costa. I think if you, it usually comes down to if Rafinha is going to play on the right. You go Harrison on the left and then Rafinha on the left, it'll be Costa on the right because I think that's then Costa and Harrison's best positions, uh, respectively. Um, and yeah, I just I also think I'd, I have more, if we if we do want to switch it over, which we have seen in uh, get games quite often now uh, that this, the wing has switched, then I'd, I'd have more confidence probably of, of Costa going over to the, um, of switching Costa and Rafinha than I probably would have in um, Harrison and Rafinha switch more. I don't know if you agree with that. It's difficult, isn't it? Because if you, I think Costa is weaker on the left than Harrison is. Um, so I, I think to some extent, whichever two wingers you choose to play from the start, you probably want to keep them in the same position throughout, unless you're going to switch, unless you're going to switch them up uh, midway through the game. Um, so, and I, and I guess from that point of view, if you do have an intention to to swap the wingers at some point during the game, you know, we've said on this, or Tom Woodhead has said on this podcast many times that that he doesn't feel like Harrison particularly makes a makes a, a good attacking difference when he comes on as a substitute. So you, so holding if you're gonna hold one of the wingers back it might be Costa. Um but then you might choose Pervader instead of Harrison to come on as your substitute. So I think I think there are kind of number of options which are definitely available to us there. Um but definitely Costa on the right and Rafinha on the left for me would be the starting combination that I'd like to see. I think I think Costa's sorry I was going to say that I think Costa's defensive work um whilst it's not quite as good as Harrison's I, I think it does go a, a bit unnoticed sometimes I think he 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 does put a good a good defensive shift in and and covers the ground that's required so I, I don't think you lose too much from that point of view yeah, it seems like he's worth a defensive lapse every once in a while but he's not defensively bad as it were it's um uh, that would be the way I would put it um, Darren, what about you? What did you take away from what John was saying? Yeah, I, I, it got me thinking about the presses a lot, um, and how you know, in, in that first game of the season, it was it was kind of a bit crash bang wallop demolition derby type thing. Everyone charging around, lots of high press, lots of you know, kind of intensity. And and I think that um, I was talking to a, a mate of mine who's a Liverpool fan um, before we recorded this the first time. And he was kind of saying that, that his observation is that since they got really turned over by Man City, that Liverpool have kind of really um, withdrawn from pressing with that level of intensity. Um, and we've definitely seen us um, reduce the level of our high press, you know, in, in recent weeks uh, by moving Dallas into that more zonal, eight position so I suppose it got me thinking about about what the kind of what the game's going to look like I guess um I also noticed that um that Liverpool have only scored in the first half once in the last um last five months and most of the goals in their games tend to come you know in in terms of them scoring but and and in terms of them conceding in the last 15 minutes of games so it just made me wonder how we approach it whether whether we do try to try kind kind of catch Liverpool cold at the start go a bit more intense initially whether we and then withdraw or whether we whether we start in that more cagey um, and withdrawn and and zonal position from the start so I, ju- I just think it's going to be really interesting in terms of how it plays out and I just wondered what what you guys thought yeah, it's a good question. I think it's it's really tricky to to try and read what happened against Manchester City because that game looked like we were the deepest I've ever seen us play, um, and and the most cagey I've seen us play, at least in terms of the out of possession structure. But that said, you know, I do think that we were trying to play the way that we usually play. I just think that Manchester City are so good at breaking presses that you end up just being forced deeper and deeper into your own half. And there's so many examples, again, going back to the uh, Patreon video that I put out, the analysis there, just showing how 
you end up with situations where Bamford and and Roberts are both sitting quite deep in in their own half because uh, they've managed to manipulate the press around so that one of them, well, Bamford has dropped into the central midfield position to cover Fernandinho and then Roberts tries to drop in as well and then suddenly you've got no one pressing from the front and gradually that forward press just uh, descends deeper and deeper and deeper and and the question then is well were we playing cagey or was it simply the the response to the way that Manchester City were playing and so I think in this game it will depend very much on how um, Liverpool break the press if Liverpool are playing well out of the back then you know we could see a similar thing happen I don't think we will because I don't think Liverpool I don't think many teams are as good at building up from the back as Manchester City are so uh, I think that's probably a one-off but I will agree with you that we are it, it, the interesting thing about this game is there's such a big space between the two games and such a lot has happened since then. I mean, we went into the season thinking that Liverpool were going to be title challengers. Um, and, in, and in that game, on the on the basis of that, it was an impressive result, right? That we, we managed to get three goals and, uh, and, and you know, yes, we conceded four, but it was a, it was a, pretty decent performance all things considered and then since then Liverpool have sort of dropped off the rails and uh, and haven't looked so good and we now aren't quite so sure about how we should be valuing Liverpool um but also like Leeds have changed a huge amount since then and we've I mean we've documented that a lot in this in this podcast over the course of the season um we've got Stuart Dallas now basically playing a zonal system in the middle when we've been using uh, high pressing for most of the time under Bielsa and so the combination of those two things I think means that it's quite hard to actually read how this is going to work itself out. Yeah, I was thinking about our press a little bit because because earlier on, John, you you made you made the point that that kind of we haven't pressed really well for weeks, and then I, I was sort of thinking about games in which we have, and I thought we did press pretty well against Fulham, and I thought we pressed pretty well early in the game against Sheffield United, but then I remembered that the common denominator in in both of those games is that both of those teams are poor at playing through a press, and 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 th- that's probably got as much to do with it as as the quality of what we were doing. I personally like us to be a bit more sort of not not necessarily sort of zonal as we we probably were against Man City, but not. I don't think I'd like to see us sort of go all intense and pressy um, in the first couple of minutes because the one one thing with Liverpool um, they've kind of sort of got over their their sort of bad run of form. Well, they're getting over their bad run of form at the moment. But one thing that was noticeable, um, and I, I I'd sort of discussed this with one, uh, one of my mates who's a Liverpool fan, that if they concede, or um, then their, their heads just drop and like, the intensity just goes immediately. And they also the same thing happens when they can't break down a team. So I think if you gave them an early goal, there's a there's a chance that they could they could just turn us over really. But the, the longer we stay in the game, um, so I've um, and even if we could nick an early goal, which obviously is the ideal situation in any match you play, that I just think it could see them sort of get losing their confidence. And uh, Darren's put up that record of them conceding a lot of their goals in the last 15 minutes. And I just think the longer we stay in it, the the more our chances, rather than trying to sort of hit them early and then like try and play an open style like we did in the first game. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting hearing John talk about how Liverpool play well in transitional games because I think a lot of mm. us would look back at that first game and think that we did quite well. But as we did before, we checked out the the expected goals from values from that game and uh, Leeds had 0.6 uh, XG in that in that fixture, which translated into three goals, which is quite an unlikely thing to happen. And obviously with all the caveats of single um, game XG totals being, you know important it is it being important to take those with a pinch of salt because obviously it's a tiny sample size and and there will be that kind of variance over that that sort of time period but um at the same time i think we i think we come out of that game looking like we we did better than we perhaps did based on the on the scoreline yeah. um and that was a game which was you know highly transitional and john mentioned uh, the At- atalanta game that that Liverpool won in the Champions League, which he described as being probably the best game that they've played this season. Uh, and so I think if we do get drawn into that kind of transitional game, the only way you'll ha- you have a hope of, of sort of coming out with something there is if you wildly overperform your XG numbers there. Um, I think you were saying, Tom, that, that the post-shot XG in that game was 2.1 for Leeds. So they basically doubled the, the chances that they had um, the the quality of the chances they had by shooting, which is pretty rare for us, and we we know that in 
seasons past we've we've really struggled we've usually reduced the quality of our chances by shooting so that was just i think a bit of an outlier where our, our, our finishing was just bang on for the day um and that's if we did get drawn into a kind of tr- transitional game like that with liverpool i think you'd have to rely on the same sort of luck um that we did rely against against manchester city as well You'd need look at both ends as well, wouldn't you? Because you'd require Liverpool to to underperform mm. their XG, and although they have broadly done that across the season, um, Salah and um, Jota are currently both outperforming their expected goals performance. So, mm. um, you'd, 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 you know, you'd, it, you'd be really taking a chance then. Yeah, it'd be very much uh, vibes and inshallah type of performance that we had last week, and I don't think I can go through that again. So, uh, <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about how we feel about where Liverpool are right now, and and just how we feel about going into this game. Because I mentioned last week, and it's funny, isn't it? Because um, I've described this much to the chagrin of of many of our listeners as a bit of a smash and grab last week, and I think the problem. The problem is, is that when you go through a game like that and you think, oh, you know, we sort of gone toe to toe for Man City, uh, gone to toe to toe with Man City, and then we've come out with the result here, even though we're down to 10 men, surely that means we're going to have a chance against a uh, Liverpool side who are a little bit shaky. But I don't think it maybe is quite as simple as that. So um, how are we feeling, Darren, about, about where Liverpool are at right now in terms of assessing our chances of getting anything out of this game? Yeah, I, th- I think Liverpool are in a really interesting place because obviously they've gone through the majority of the season without their without who is you know the person who's probably the best centre back in the world at the moment, and any team that loses a player of that quality is going to struggle. So I think I think you know as John said in in his in in the interview, I think that definitely has an impact. But I also just get the sense that that Liverpool are kind of. Um, in a, in a transition, really, that that they've kind of ridden uh, on the coattails of that amazing front three for a few years now, and I think that we're starting to see the dip in their in their performance. Um, they've they've I think they've all overperformed f- for a couple of years, and I think that um, in terms of you know their XG performance and stuff, but I think you're definitely seeing you know Firmino and Mane start to drop off this season, or at least have seasons which are significantly worse than the ones that, that they've had before. Um, and I think that, that John alluded to a sense that he feels like Klopp is trying to kind of slightly tweak the style and, and, and trying to make them a bit more controlled and a bit more positional and a bit more possession based. So I just feel, I just do feel at this moment in time that, that, that they are in a bit of a, a transition. And although their results have picked up a little bit, it does feel like a good time good time to play them um and you know i think that in in terms of what we can take from from the city game i i completely agree with you i mean it's not only a smash and grab we absolutely robbed the bank and i I enjoyed watching us do that and but i think the the chances of us repeating that trick are quite slim so we're going to have to come up with something different against liverpool in order to try and get any sort of result out of it i would have probably preferred to play liverpool a couple of weeks ago when they were Right in the the middle of that bad run of form, because uh, they've kind of they've they've started to turn a corner now. But I, I completely agree with everything that Darren's saying. Like, it's they're not. It's there isn't the fear that there was there for the first game and would have been if you'd had um, if you were played them at like any time in the two previous seasons as well. I think the the only thing I think for me that we could take from the Man City match, which we can sort of use for this match, is that we've we've beaten one of those top six sides now we haven't got hammered by one of them and it means that this almost like the the pressure is almost a a little bit off because we're not going to then lose like the next three games in a row um and we're not going to concede loads of goals so you'd feel like i kind of feel like more optimistic i personally feel more optimistic about this game because i'm not like worrying about getting the batteries back to back and like you might feel that the players have some sort of similar yeah. feelings as well and that if well and I know it's like we've said it's not repeatable really from last weekend but there's they must there's, I don't know it's the sort of like sportsmanship psychology that if you can do it once why can't you do it again yeah I'm less sanguine on our chances to be honest and part of this is because actually if you look at the style of football that we played last week when we beat Man City it was very much relegation battling team style tactics and if you look a lot of, at a lot of those teams like thinking like teams like West Brom and uh, I think Sheffield Wednesday uh, Sheffield United sorry have got results against was it Manchester United this season um I feel as though that, that our result is like in that kind of vein is and the problem is 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 not that we aren't going to get results like that against the big sides it's that we're not going to play in that style and get that those kind of results against big sides because we're always going to try and go toe to toe with them to a certain extent and 
that's why for me that the red card was so important because it meant it sort of forced us to have to play that way um and you know we've talked about this at length before like Bielsa obviously Bielsa could we could play that football if we wanted to but I don't think he wants yeah. to because I think he thinks it's in the long run it's better for us to to take those hits and to try and go toe to toe with those teams so that when when we when it comes around to the summer and we bring in new players and we bring in better players you slot them into the system and suddenly you're like oh now we're looking much more uh, able to to make play these sorts of games and so I think we'll probably I don't think we'll be anywhere near as as cagey like you say as as we were against Man City and I think that's understandable because you know we won't be going down to 10 men we won't just ditch you know everything that we do i mean in in the in the second half against man city we were basically playing a zonal system pretty much yeah. entirely with we were with you know with tweaks here and there but it, it, that was it you know we were playing a form of football that we will never play again this season unless we go down to 10 men i suspect we should go down to 10 men is what you're saying <laughs> yeah well i did tweet today about dortmund that maybe they should have gone down to 10 men against city because that might have helped them out but um let's let's move on and talk a little bit about structure we've talked about how city uh sorry liverpool usually play a 4-3-3 city do also usually play a 4-3-3 so um but um john did mention that um that they've been shifting to a 43 a 4-2-3-1 uh later on in games to sort of um, to, to, to sort of um, close things down at the end of fixtures I think both of these formations pretty much suit us as we know in the 4-3-3 obviously it means that Calvin Phillips may be sort of pushed out of position a little bit just pushing up on their eights it depends how deep their eights play um, against a 4-2-3-1 it, it will look nice because um, you know Phillips can just sit on the, the 10 and, and then the other two eights have got the, the double pivot at the opposite end so um I don't think there's really much to say about the about the structure per se, um, but I do think there are some interesting questions that we have about the way that we fill out our four one four one or four three three, however you're going to look at it. So I think the big, well, the big question I suppose is um, Liam Cooper's out, so it's just a case of Pascal Strauch in, right, Tom Alderson? Yeah, definitely. I think this question was kind of answered itself in the City game because when Cooper went off, it was Stroik that came on immediately, not Cock. Um, so anyone that was thinking, oh, this is Cocalorente time, it's definitely not. It's um, the, the, the it's the, the left footed, right footed thing is we we always like knew that was the case, but that the substitution on Saturday confirmed that. I think it's abs- absolute testament as well to 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 Pascal Stroke. If I remember just before the we you know when the team sheet was announced for the for the first Liverpool game, um, and although I'd already been a bit of a fan of Pascal by that point that been a bit worried about him coming up against that front three and you know it's absolute kind of the the development of of his play throughout the season and and the increasing confidence that we've all got in him that I don't think any of us are at all worried about him coming coming up against Liverpool's front three whatever version of it happens to play uh, on Monday so I'm I'm like a you know I'm really really looking forward to seeing him play again because I, I really enjoy watching him defend we've been advocates of Liam Cooper I think for, for especially in the last few months when I think he's been getting panned a little bit by some of the fan base but there's almost a sense in which I'm quite pleased that, that Pascal has these three games to come in and, and do more development especially against big sides um one of the things that I, I suppose we worried about when we had all of the centre-backs back was that, you know, this was going to sort of derail Strauch's development a little bit. Um, but, you know, it, it's just carrying on as, as it's gone all season, right, where he gets a few games in here, there and everywhere. So he's played right centre-back, left centre-back. He's played in the defensive midfield position as well. He's played in about three and about two. So uh, I'm just treating that, especially at this point in the season where, let's be honest, who cares if we get panned by Liverpool um I just want I want to see players like Pascal Strout getting those minutes in we talk about um you know why we're not playing players like Joffe and why we're not bringing you know players who who could get some development in so I think when it actually does happen we sort of just have to take it like that and say you know this is more minutes in the legs this is more experience in big games against big teams um if Pascal Strout is going to carry on making the sort of steps that he's making I'm glad that he's playing in games like this and I absolutely trust him to, you know, to pick up the, the, the man marking or share the man marking with Llorente for whoever ends up playing the more central of the attacking role for Liverpool. I, I've got no concerns. 
So then I guess elsewhere, the big question is, as it is every week, um, is it going to be Dallas in the middle or left back? And it, it feels at this point that we're just in the scenario where it's just always going to be Dallas in the middle now and Alioski at left back. Are you happy with that, Darren? Well, I, I think that, that actually take, taking Dallas out um, at this stage would be, would be a complete folly, given that we've managed to find a blend in midfield which seems to work in in the you know the majority of games and seems to give us an extra degree of solidity yeah i'm i'm absolutely happy with that i, I think it would be i you know I'd, I'd be a bit worried if we if we took if we did decide to move dallas to left back I, I would be really concerned about what that would do to to the to the midfield and how easy it's been for teams to run through it um in times when he wasn't playing there so yeah definitely it's funny isn't it because like last season I think fullback was definitely Dallas's better position. We played him in central midfield a few times, and because we were so dominant, we 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 just had a, a completely different skill set that we were expecting of him. And now that that nexus has just completely reversed, and it's now got to the point where I'm kind of like I don't really want to see Dallas as a fullback in the Premier League because I don't think he's good enough for, to be a fullback in the Premier League. But absolutely want him in the midfield because he does give us that solidity that we just haven't had for long stretches of the season particularly in the middle of this season um beyond that i think we've we've pretty much covered the 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 team selection i suppose the other thing is that we'll we'll have tyler roberts coming in in the middle um it by just by dint of the fact that he's the only person really available i suppose we might see someone like joe gelhart but we haven't seen him yet it doesn't i don't suggest that Bielsa is just suddenly going to start trying to develop youngsters at this point. So um, is there anything that anyone else wanted to say about the, the p- potential changes in the structure? I'd quite like to talk about Phillips. Mm-hmm. John mentioned a lot about Phillips and his passing in the first game. And that's that's not that's not something that we've... You kind of think of Phillips. like We've seen him do those sort of passes. The Everton game is the one that definitely comes to mind. But in terms of our actual build-up, like Phillips doing those long passes isn't really a key feature um, but it was something that John was particularly concerned about now I don't know I think he just had PTSD from Tony Cruz doing the same passes in the in the Real Madrid game in the first leg but if we are going to try and um, hit those channels behind Alexander-Arnold is it going to be Phillips that you think is going to do them or do you think it'll be even I think Lorente is probably the one that comes to mind but I don't know if he's actually got that that ability I don't think we've seen it really yeah, this is an interesting one. And it's got me thinking about the scenarios in which we see Phillips doing those passes because he does have a crossfield pass in him, obviously. And, um, but it, it, we don't see it very often. We see it in those games like Everton where we're playing against a mid block where there's no pressure really on the back line and Phillips can get the ball with space in front of him and take his time to pick those passes. Um, I don't think Liverpool will be playing in that way at all. And, um, I also kind of think if we do play in a similar way to the way that we played against Manchester City, those balls were being used as an out ball as a as a way of just sort of releasing pressure from the back. So again, I, I talked about how in the Patreon video, I looked at the chances that Leeds uh, created in the first half against City. And I think we created something like six chances, one of which was the goal, which came from the obviously from the left-hand side with with through Helder Costa and Bamford. The other five chances all came down the right-hand side and they all came from long balls into that channel looking for Rafinha. Um, they all came from Melier or they came from Liam Cooper. And the ones that came from Melier came from very specific situations where um, Cooper played the ball back to him and he just... Um, hit the ball down that channel uh, and then also the 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 other example came from when Llorente played the ball back to um back to Cooper and he hit him in that channel I think it was in, in the end it was offside but he he definitely got separation between himself and his and his uh, center back was his wing back at uh, full back sorry at the time so I guess my my question is like how do we expect the ball to be moved into those areas will it be a case of us trying to transition the ball through uh, into the sort of midfield areas, play it back to Phillips and then see him hitting those channels, which I don't think we will because I don't think we transition very well anymore uh, because I think we realise that we don't possess the ball very well. And so I think we may well, it may well be the case that we try and um, 
transition the ball but then end up just playing back to the keeper or the defender and then hitting those channels uh, in which case you're not really using Phillips now I, what I would say is that I, I'll caveat that with what I said before which was now that we're if we are trying to hit that left hand side channel rather than the right hand side channel we may try and get Phillips on the ball um, to hit those channels like he did in the in the game um, at the beginning of the season um, but I think in those scenarios what we'll probably see is him dropping in between the centre-backs maybe to pick up the ball or um, just sort of dropping a bit deeper um, to try and get to to try and get that sort of leverage on the ball that he needs so yeah I'm interested to see what happens yeah I think I think John's uh, memory of that game is, is quite different from mine because I seem to remember that although there was that one fantastic pass which led to the Jack Harrison goal um, in the end um, I actually felt that Phillips struggled in possession a lot of the time in that game. Is my memory. Um, so I think it, it, it will be really interesting to see to see whether that's any different and how we can get him on the ball because I'm sure that that you know Liverpool will be fully aware of of his ability to hit those long passes when he's given time and space and will be trying everything they can to deny him you know the time and space to do that. So um, I think it's a really fascinating thing to watch out for. Well, let's talk a little bit about the um, the players who need to play well on on Monday night. Um, I'll start with you, Darren. Who who have you got down to play well? It's become the, the sort of stock answer recently because we we are so reliant on him now, and particularly in the teams against the, in the games against these bigger teams. But I think it's really important that Rafinha has a good game um, because I think it's very unlikely that we're gonna we're gonna dominate the ball to, to, to the degree that Bielsa would ordinarily want us to do and, and would do in his idealised version of football. So we're gonna be looking to to get Rafinha in and away behind the full backs on either side and I think he's gonna need to you know, make good use of those opportunities to transition and 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 to to kind of have a real impact on the game. So I think if he if he doesn't play well and if he doesn't influence the game, I think it dramatically reduces our chances of taking anything from it. Tom, how about you? Have you got anyone that you would add to that? I think I'm going to add Alioski to that if we would look at the more decided defensive side because well, Salah is their best player and Alioski is our worst player. So if you're doing like foot mat- tactics 101 is don't put your best player their best player against your worst player. Um, but unfortunately, because Dallas has to play in midfield, um, then Alioski has to play a left back. So I think we're just going to hope Alioski doesn't have an absolute clangor and I'll probably have to throw Strauch in as someone who's going to play well because he's going to be cleaning up Alioski's mess. <laughs> and in terms of how you expect the game to go, Tom, how do you see it unfolding? So I, I do think it will be an end-to-end game, but I don't think it will be the all sort of um, the, the really open game that we saw in the first match because since then both teams have like gone through the season and realised that they they can't really do that because they get caught out. Um, cause like we, we've seen it last couple of weeks that we've kind of drop back our press and we're not we're, we're a bit more defensively minded now um, and then Liverpool like we've also said they're with, without Van Dijk they've got to just be, be a bit more sort of cagey with their approach so I, I do think that both teams will go out and try and attack and score goals but I just don't think it'll be as open as the first game Yeah I'm interested to see see how we cope with Liverpool's set pieces um, without Van Dijk because I seem to recall them causing us absolute chaos and me absolutely shitting my pants every time they got they got a corner or a free kick in a, a, around the box um so i think that's one one factor that i think i'll be looking out for but um i sort of yeah i i expect us to 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 try and be on on the front foot um in, in the press a little bit more than we were against city I, I expect us to try and perhaps put pressure on um tiago if he plays because i, I think that that um you know whilst he's a a fantastic player I, I don't necessarily think that, that playing at the sort of tempo that we would ordinarily want to play necessarily would suit him um, so I, th- I think that that we you know we will we will try and have a go at them it's just it's just whether whether we can do that effectively and 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 cause them enough problems to uh to try and take anything from it and to be honest I'm not sure I think you know although Liverpool are, are in you know relatively poor a moment or having a poorer season they they still go into this game heavy favourites and if basically my view on it is that if we're not able to keep Jota and um and Salah quiet then then we've really got little chance of taking anything from it well Darren nearly fell asleep at the end there so it's better to end here so it's a late night for us all here endeth the lesson that game is on Monday 
uh, in the evening. We will be back, I think, on Tuesday to to review it. Hopefully, we'll have lots to talk about then. If you do like our stuff and you want to get more of it, then do head over to the Patreon channel, which is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats on we. We do have a piece coming out this week on our medium from Josh Hobbs looking at a player that we have been linked with. So get ready for the silly season in the summer. It's beginning here. Is it Michael Cuisance? <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's the, it's the Michael Cuisance rehash from last summer. So uh, lots for you to look forward to there. But yeah, other than that, it's time for bed and uh, time for me to say thank you to Darren. Thank you. And thank you to Tom. Thank you very much. And we'll see you after the Liverpool game. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.